Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The word is firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thanks, Leah. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us a song about how you have acted in history to save. And our whole life, our shared community, our worship is now a response to your saving action. And, and Lord, we want to be part of that song for eternity. So here we are preparing, preparing our hearts, preparing the way for the Lord. Holy Spirit, come, and would you continue working in this church for your glory in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, everybody, welcome to Park Hill. We are inside. It is wonderful to see, see, to see you. It's amazing. So if you're new, welcome. This is a big day for us. Um, my name is Evan. My wife Sandy and I, well, I don't know where she is, uh, we lead the church together. Um, and there she is. And, and Aaliyah and Matt, just a team that feels like family. And it's a beautiful thing to be part of. And this is the third to last week in this series we're doing called Teach Us to Pray. Aaliyah just read Psalm 96. This series, we're, we're looking to the Psalms, which this book of Psalms is the book that taught Jesus to pray. We follow Jesus, so we come to it humbly, like, Lord, teach us what you know. We want to come to the Father like you did, Jesus. And so today we're exploring Psalm 96, which is a prayer entirely about singing. And not just singing, but praying through our singing. If you stop and think about it, uh, there aren't many places in our culture where we get together as a diverse group and intentionally sing songs. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you might do it in a choir. You, maybe you signed up for a choir once, but that's like people that think they can sing, you know? <laughs> like, everybody's singing here, even the ones that are like, I don't sing. Um, you, you might do this at a Padres game. You throw up a chant. Everybody says the same thing, but that's obviously different. You might go to a concert and sing the same songs with a bunch of people, but that's also different because it's like a certain artist, and it's their art that was sold to you, and it's just a different kind of thing. Um, so what we're doing here is unique because we're agreeing to sing to someone 
who is present to us and we're responding to who he says he is to us and what he's done to actually rescue a family that we're a part of. This is the heart of why we're gathering here. It's to sing amongst a couple other things, word and table and, and, and song and prayer because of this person, this God revealed in Jesus. And we do this as we do it. The New Testament says we're also singing to one another. Like these spiritual songs somehow strengthen each other in the spirit. And it's really, it's powerful what we're doing. And I think we felt the power of this during this pandemic. We've really felt the power of our singing in its absence together. Um, I feel like a relationship, when, it's, when, it, when, a, when a relationship gets tense, you really love the person, but there's like a fight and you feel how much you love them in the absence of love and kindness. And just that beautiful kindness of each other singing, we just, I, I felt the vacuum in my life. And I heard from many of us, that's what we felt. Um, this is what Psalm 96 is all about. It's telling you why that's so powerful and why it's so essential to the spiritual life in God, the God revealed in Jesus. And so why do we do this? Why is praying through songs so important for followers of Jesus? This is what the psalm does. So <clears throat> let's dive in, and we're going to all read the first uh, three verses all together out loud, if we can. It's going to be on the screen, so throw that up there. Here we go. Ready? All together. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. And that's a song. We're supposed to sing that. And if you see the first six commands, there's like six in there. Um, sing, 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 praise, proclaim, declare, <laughs> right? Those are the six imperatives. <clears throat> and we're going to talk about those. That's going to drive today because they're commands. Um, and what's the first thing we're commanded to sing? Can you throw that verse back up for a second? What's the first thing? This thing called a new song. Yeah. We're commanded to sing something new, a new song. And this phrase is unique. It shows up nine times in the Bible, new song. And every time it shows up, it's, it's in this moment of response to something God did to rescue. Uh, it's in this moment of, God, of people saying, I see, I see you as you are. I see what you've done. And the new song bursts forth. This happens from beginning to the end of God's people's story. In the very end, we see this sing to the Lord a new song in the book of Revelation, the last book, because God has finally fixed the cosmos, <laughs> and Jesus is the king of it, and he saved his people. And, and then in the beginning, do you know the very first song is a new song? You know the first one in the story of the Bible? Anybody know when the first worship song happens? Be bold. Adam and Eve, they may have sang, sung, but the, the song that actually made it into the Bible, the first song, Miriam, good. Female worship leaders, unite. So Miriam, Miriam led this song um, right after the Exodus, Prince of Egypt. You know, Moses goes through the Red Sea. 
the, the Red Sea swallows up all of the Pharaoh's uh, soldiers, and they're on the dry land on the other side, like, what just happened? And what happened is God acted to rescue his family and to start forming a people that would, that would through those people, the salvation of the world would come. And so, and so they're like, God just did something insane to save us for himself. And their response is this singing that they do. And so verse 1 of chapter 15 of Exodus, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He's my God, and I'll praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. There it is. The very beginning of the life of God's people is marked with music. This specific song about God's activity is before they had Ten Commandments, before they had the land of Israel. They had their song in response to God saving them. And from that moment on, God's people are a people who acknowledge God through songs ever since, all the way to now. And so we are part of a culture that has baked into it a way of responding to God's goodness. And the psalmist calls this new song. New song. And, and it's literally a church that writes new songs is doing this, and a church that doesn't necessarily write literally new songs, but has an understanding of the new things God is doing to always give birth to kingdom stuff in, in the church. And I'll explain what that means. These new songs through God's story are always signs of God's presence and health and life among his people. And so if there's, if there's never... If there's never any new songs, or at least a sense of newness around singing, if there's never that in a church, in a community, we should probably be asking, what's going on here? And this doesn't mean every church has to always write new songs in order to be a true church. That's not the point. The point is, is the newness of response. It could be a hundred-year-old song. Uh, and, and the response to God is fresh. Because we're aware that he's actually here. Is, and if that's not happening in the church, if there's a, just a, a dry culture around song and singing, we have to ask, is anyone, hello, like, is anyone having any new experiences of God? Is anyone here aware of what God has done to save them, like today? So a church that is experiencing the presence of God should be generating new songs into the world. Um, and by the way, there's this little, little kind of sidebar I want to hit. And when I say church making new songs, I don't mean just Christian music, you know, like the CCM genre or whatever. I remember listening to a famous musician talk about Christian, the Christian music industry. Um, and he hap this was a Christian, just not in the Christian industry. He was just making good music out there, whatever. And he was like, I don't believe there's such a thing as Christian music, is what he said. And his point was basically... Just because a Christian, just because a song has like a Christian label or comes off of Christian radio doesn't necessarily mean it's from God or for God. And obviously, I would agree with that basically. It's basically true, of course. But I also want to push back. I want to push back because at the same time, I absolutely believe there's a such thing as Christian music. The Psalms call it new song. And Paul in Ephesians 5 calls it psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is the, the music of Yahweh's culture. 
it's songs that declare who this specific God is and what he's done to rescue his family. If, if you have history in the high church, maybe you grew up, I don't know, Catholic or Anglican, or you, have a, you have a category for this. It's called sacred music, sacred songs. At Christmas, you'd sing Christmas songs, but then you'd have to say, which one, sacred or non-sacred? <laughs> Uh, because one had theology in it, one was about chestnuts or something. <clears throat> and you had, you had boxes for this. Uh, and so it, the, these songs, these sacred psalms, hymns, they're a way of sharing the good news, really. They're a way of preaching. Do you know you're preaching when you're singing these things together? You're like, I'm not a preacher. You're actually, you're declaring who God is. And what he's done. That's called preaching. <laughs> That's the gospel. And, and you're doing it. And these songs, they explode into the world and further Yahweh's culture in San Diego as we sing them. Um, and every culture, ethnicity, nation, and language, the point of these new songs isn't just that we'd sing and then leave the songs in the building, but that they would be a soundtrack for everything you do out of the song. All the architecture and design and ethical business and creativity and education and working with your trade or whatever, studying, it's all part and implied within the new song, okay? And so another way of thinking about this, a community of new song that comes straight from Jesus and Paul in the New Testament, Philippians 3.20. Another way of thinking about this, uh, local churches like Park Hill, Restored church, captivate the rock, neighbors, commonwealth, all these churches around here. And every church that confesses Jesus as Lord, here's a way of thinking about this. We are essentially all called to live as embassies, embassies of heaven on earth, okay? So let's randomly pick South Africa. So if, if you go to the South African embassy in Washington, D.C., what should you expect to find? Well, first of all, you're, you are actually, you step into the door and you are first and foremost on South African territory. Even though it's geographically in North America, in Washington, D.C., you're in South African territory where you should expect to be reminded of South African values instead of American ones. And you see pictures of President, you should expect... Not Biden, but Ramaphosa on the wall, right? Like these are artifacts that show this is another place. There's a higher commonality here. Um, are you with me? You get this. So the same is true for church, for the church, as embassies of heaven, in, in our case, San Diego. In a very important sense, when you step into a gathering of spirit-filled Jesus followers around scripture, table, song, and prayer, and singing these anthems, you're stepping across a doorway into heaven's embassy. This is heaven's embassy, and you're on God's turf, specifically heaven on earth. Don't get me wrong, there's a real heaven, homeland, that is coming, and Jesus will bring it at the end of the story, and heaven and earth will be combined. There, there is a heaven. In the meantime, there are tens of thousands of embassies that are all over this planet, infiltrating culture with love and generosity and the cult, the, the own personality of the king, okay? And so, and so this is who churches are. And so, for example, in two Sundays, what, what, what holiday is that? Fourth of July. So uniquely American, so we're gonna, we're mostly Americans in the room. 
But, but when we come here, you guys, you walk into the doors, nothing against the song, love the song, but we won't be singing God Bless America uh, in, in this gathering. Uh, again, I'll sing it probably that day a million times just because I'll be in the shower and it'll be in my head because I heard it somewhere or something. Uh, but there's a reason for this because as citizens of heaven, we share a higher commonality with the Iranian Christian woman leading our house church in Tehran than we do with our patriotic non-Christian neighbor in Claremont. We have a higher commonality. And, and, and that commonality is allegiance to Jesus, the reigning king of every nation, whose family is made up of all ethnicities, languages, and tribes who confess him as the Lord of the universe. That's the highest commonality. And so that's what's on display here. And there's artifacts all over the room that are from that culture. And, uh, and this is why on Sunday, July 4th, here in the Embassy of Heaven, instead of a flag or whatever on the stage, we'll have the bread and cup on tables. And we'll actually open water of, for baptism so that people can step in and confess a pledge of allegiance to Jesus on that day because, and become citizens of heaven, which is literally what the New Testament calls us. Citizens of heaven, where the anthem we sing, we're going to sing an anthem, and it's not, oh, say, can you see? It's worthy as the lamb that was slain, is the song in, in the end of the story. And so here's, here's the point I'm making. This is the point. A local church that experiences and celebrates God's saving presence is a community that is creating and singing a new song. This reverberates into every area of life as followers of Jesus. In this way, we function as an embassy of heaven on earth and generate heaven's culture in our city. This is who we are. And in that, as we sing and step here, and we recognize, oh, this, this is where God uniquely is. God is present. God is here. God is among us. We know he's everywhere, but we pray Holy Spirit come uniquely here, believing there's an answer to that prayer. He does come uniquely around his people as we gather. So, this is why Paul would later write to the church in Ephesus. He would later write this. You have the next slide. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What's going on here? Did we just turn a corner? No, the community filled with the Spirit, the embassy of heaven, this is a command for who we are. Do not be drunk on wine. Why? Because wine is an influence, and, and it, it generates a response, and, and, it, and, it, and it actually governs behavior or takes away governors of behavior. And so... And so it leads to, that's what debauchery is. Instead, the opposite is to be filled to get full, to drink up on the presence of God. Um, because if you do, you'll become more human, not less. Alcohol makes you less yourself. The Spirit makes you more you. And, and so we are those who seek to be more us, redeemed by the Spirit, and sing to the one who is making us more us for himself. And, and so this is the result. What happens when this happens? When we're filled with the Spirit. Next slide. What happens? First result. We speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 
making music from our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So for, for the writers of the Psalms, singing is a sign, telltale sign, that God is at work, that God has his people where he wants them. And it's not the only sign, but it's a huge one at the center of the storyline. Singing plays a huge role in heaven's culture advancing into the earth. And so this actually begs a, fa- a fascinating question. If, if that's what God's culture is like, does God sing? And the answer is a resounding yes from both Testaments. Not only do we see Jesus physically singing, we actually see the God of the Old Testament singing over his kids. Zephaniah, beautiful prophecy here. Um, One of the last Old Testament prophets says, Sing, daughter Zion. We're commanded to sing. Daughter Zion is a loving way of saying Israel, God's people. Sing, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart. Why? Because, verse 15, God has done stuff. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. He's acted. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear. He's present. This is his land. This is true. If you're on it, you're in his presence. You are a people of his house. Verse 16, on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord, your God, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Now watch this. Watch this. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've admitted your need of his healing, and you've accepted his invitation into his family, guess what? The creator God sings over you. So for me personally, this is one of the most moving images of God in the whole Bible. I get to be part of this family that gets to be sung over. Always being sung over. Always sung over. So is this how you think of your life, your Monday? You're being sung over. Is this the image of God you have in your mind? No matter what your story or your shame you carry or crisis, if if you admit your need of Jesus... Jesus said, I came for the sick, those who know that they are, need healing, not for, the, not for those who stand against God saying, I'm well. How, how, God can't, he can't force you to see reality. But if you see reality, I need you. God begins singing and acting to save you. This is what he's like. This is what God is like. It's no wonder this is what his culture is like, this, this space. It's no wonder his embassies are houses of singing everywhere. This culture comes from his own personality, you guys. This is why, again, Holy Spirit, come. We want him to change the direction of our hearts because his heart is that good. So this is what the psalmist, gets, this is what the psalmist is getting at when he's like, command you, sing to the Lord this new song, <laughs> the new song. Whether it's a song you just wrote, we're going to sing three of those today, or it's a song that was written... 800 years ago and puts in modern music and translated to English and talks about what God did. Either way, new song is, oh my God, I see you for who you are and what you've done. I'm not dry. I'm not just sitting back wishing I was somewhere else. (laughs) I am leaning in and engaging with God's family toward him. And, And this is new song. 
It's not to be stale, but to be expressive. It's, it's to be new every time we sing it. So, um, yeah, before, before we do that, before we sing, let's, let's let this psalm just kind of take us there. Let's let it lead us there. Uh, we, we already read the next slide. You can put that one up there. There it is. There's the commands. Sing, sing, sing. Praise, proclaim, declare. And then, uh, so that's, those are the commands. We've talked about singing. What, what does it mean to proclaim, to declare? Uh, it implies that you don't feel like doing it. It's a command. Command yourself. I will say this about God whether I like it or not. That is it. And have, I don't, has anybody been there? I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like just going through the motions. Or am I the only non-perfect person? <laughs> cool. We've all been there. And this is when the spiritual practice of proclaiming gets really important. It's our choice to declare what is true regardless of what I feel about it. And so what is it that we declare? We declare, this is what the rest of the psalm is about. Look at verse 4. It says, for great is the Lord. (laughs) Great is the Lord. And that word Lord, if you're reading it in your Bible, it's all caps. Why? Does anybody know why Lord is all caps? In many English translations, for some reason, it didn't get cut and pasted right into the pro presenter. It's, it's lowercase. But what does the all caps Lord mean? Does anybody know? Yahweh. So Yahweh is his, when you see Lord, you're seeing Yahweh's personal name. Um, and there's a whole history behind that that goes way back into the Jewish scribes that would, that would like wash their hands before writing the name and, and, and they would come very holy to the name, and they'd stop what they're doing whenever they came to the name. And so we recognize that tradition of respecting the name by making it all caps in our English translations. Why? Because Yahweh is the divine personal name God gave to his people to call him. So he's basically saying, this is my covenant name. This is my marriage name. I choose to be your God and you will be my people and I will always be faithful to you and when you're faithless, then I will make sure you're faithful over my dead body, literally. This, this is him saying, I am this God, specifically Yahweh. I am not other gods. There are other gods and I'm not them. There are other gods you can worship. They are idols and I'm not those. I'm this one and I'm personal with you. And, and so this is very relational right now, and it's very key. <laughs> uh, so what do, we, what do we declare about this personal being who loves us? Verse 4, it says, For great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all the other gods. They're all idols. But the Lord made the heavens. That's why he's different. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. So he's this personal God who's specifically relational and promising to be faithful. He's this God, not those. There's a this, not that happening here. Very key. And this is not popular in our pluralistic age. God is saying, I am this God. You will worship me as I am because I'm a person. You can't confuse me with people. Who likes being confused with other people? Especially people that you've known for a long time and claim to love. And you're like, hey, Rachel. They're like, I'm Debbie or whatever. (laughs) 
God's like, I'm this God. So he reveals himself as this God. And so as Christians, we follow the story all the way through Jesus. And Jesus is like, remember that God? I'm that God. That was his claim. The God of the Old Testament, all of it is me acting. And now the God of the Old Testament is acting by, by, by virtue of God in Christ. Me, I am the Messiah. Um, and so Christians historically agree with this. Very, he got very personal and very specific. And so whoever says, I need this God, I need his forgiveness and healing, and he's Jesus. He's Jesus, and Jesus said, Father, Son, and Spirit are who we're baptized into, so I agree with Jesus. This God, not those. And, and whoever does that, we have people that are signed up to be baptized on July 4th that will do that. They will say, this God, not those. And this community is bearing witness to my marriage to this God, just like in a marriage where you bear witness and have them sign. This is a covenant. And so this, happen, this is what's happening here. We, we see what this specific God has done, and we sing. We sing and agree. And so when we sing, here's what this means, you guys. Here's, here's where I'm going with this. It means our songs have to have a balance of both what we feel, which I love singing about. I love singing about my feelings. And, and God does, and the Psalms are all about feelings too. God loves it when we're real about our feelings to him. But we have to balance that with also what is true about this specific God. So we bring our feelings to this specific God. We don't just air them out to the universe. And we don't confuse God with the universe. We go to a specific creator of the universe who wants us to vent our feelings to him, trusting that he'll be faithful to act like he has through history. These are our songs. Um, and this is why our songs convey the good news. Because this is why at Park Hill, we're intentional that our songs aren't just about the universe. They're not just about God, but they're about Jesus God, <laughs> like the Jesus God that's in there. And, and, and Jesus said, Father, Son, and Spirit are an articula the articulation. And so the psalm is being intentional in the same way. And so let's read the rest of the content of this psalm. I'll read it over you. Um, ascribe to the Lord. That means give to the Lord, all you families, uh, glory and strength. Give him glory. Give him strength. Let, let him know how strong and authoritative he is. He knows, but you need to tell him who he is back so you're clear. <laughs> and, and, and verse 8, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns, Yahweh reigns. The personal Relational, marrying God, <laughs> the God who has covenanted with the people and never left us, is king. He, he reigns. He's the authority. He's not just relational. He's the authority, which bodes really well for his people he's in relationship with, right? He wants to share this authority with us. The world is firmly established. It can't be moved. He'll judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Now he's like, he goes from humans to like, Fields and trees and rocks, all of it should be really pumped that God is the God he says he is. Uh, verse 13, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He'll judge the world. What it, we see, oh no, judgment. 
But then you realize, who else is going to stop all the stuff? Who is going to undo the systems of oppression that everybody wants to fix? We all have our own ideas, whether it's progressive or conservative or uh, postmodern or modern. We have all our approaches to fixing systemic evil. But we debate, and we'll never get it done. And, and only one person is smart and wise and strong enough to actually come up with the plan and fully implement it in a way that answers everything correctly. <laughs> so, so this is who he is, you guys. He's the one who's going to fix the world, and he'll judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And he wants a relationship with us, and he's made a way for us to be in a relationship with him. And so I, I've, you guys have been looking forward to this teaching for a very long time. Um, not just because, again, not just because we're singing or in a building, but because we get to kind of hit a reset button on what worship is and what we're doing here. Uh, as, pe- as people who practice Christianity, the historic received faith of Jesus our, our worship is entirely about someone. It's about someone. And not just, a, not just a person, but a personal God who's revealed himself as God the Father, Son, and Spirit. So we don't just worship someone out there either. He's someone who has come to make himself known. He didn't have to doesn't need us. He needs nothing. (laughs) He's the only needless imaginable being. He's not even imaginable. And and yet he's made himself known. So when we sing together (laughs) about this God, it's this golden opportunity to both know him and, and make him known at the same time. To get clarity on what he wants and who he is and how much he loves us and what he's done. And, and also, to, as we gain that clarity through singing the truth, the truth goes out so that people have no question which God this is and who these people are <laughs> and, and how good the arrangement is these people have with this God, and I want in on that arrangement. This embassy is putting out great culture. The personality of this God is pretty remarkable. Um, you see, when you read through this psalm, you get, you get this image, all the people coming, all the Creation coming, all the families, oh, the, now the water and the fields and the trees, they're all coming to say God is king. This God who can make all the right choices about judgment and universe, all the things. And, and, and you get this, it's basically the end of the world. It's the picture of the end of the world. Very famous Jewish picture. When everyone comes around and says, that, not those, that God is going to be the one who does it right. And, and, and he's saying, I see the future. So guess what? The new songs that see that future are, 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 are supposed to be coming out of healthy communities of Jesus followers. The new songs that see the past, that see what he's done and his track record of faithfulness, they're supposed to be coming out of these communities of Jesus followers. They point back at his faithfulness, just like the table. They point forward to the next meal we have with Jesus in his new kingdom. And all of it is this thing called new song that we sing, even if it's a 500-year-old song or a brand new song that Drew and Shua and myself wrote for today or whatever, either way, God has chosen to make himself knowable and loves to be known by us as we sing, as we sing these songs. This is why we sing. 
And, and so the last thing I want to say about this, <laughs> this is the call to know God. Um, <laughs> and the, the, this is it. This is what I wanted to say at the end. And I want to talk about something. It's a big word. It starts with the letter D and it tends to be uh, not talked about a lot anymore. I don't know why, at, at least on Sunday mornings. Uh, but it's this word called doctrine. Doctrine. We'll go to classes, Bible colleges, seminaries, and we'll talk about doctrines of the faith. Um, but this, this, this word, doctrine, is at the heart of New Song. Here's why. A uh, little backstory. I was in a conversation with someone who is questioning the faith, and I think that's important to do as long as you do it well and not dishonestly. I think it's important to ask honest questions about everything. And so uh, this person was saying, I don't know, I don't... Jesus said, you know, all we have to do is love God, love neighbor. And then the church went ahead and made doctrines. I don't know if you ever heard anything like that. Um, Jesus didn't want to start doctrines. Jesus didn't want us to agree mentally with a set of belief statements. He just wanted to go love people. And to that, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> yes. And, but then wait a minute. <laughs> Who is, who's telling you to love people? Who is this being? And why is he trustworthy? Once you start asking those questions, you then enter the realm of doctrine. And, and, and here's where the problem happens. We forget that doctrine is love. Doing doctrine is loving God. Here's what I mean. My wife and I, we've done couples counseling. There are times... We've really needed it. And so I've needed it mostly. And so, and here's why. I go to couples therapy, and what does the therapy therapist tell me? He says, Evan, sounds like you need to listen. <laughs> um, so here's what we're going to do. You, Sandy, you hold, you hold the talking stick, which means, Evan, shut up. And, 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 and Sandy, you tell him how you feel, what's inside, and what's really going on. And so Sandy holds a talking stick. And she says how she really feels, takes a good long while to say it because she's very clear. And she leaves no stone unturned, and it's a gift. And, and, and then he's like, all right, Evan, you take the talking stick. Now you, in your own big boy words, <laughs> what did she say? And, and, I, and I grab the stick, and, and then I go, my own words... I begin doing what? Psychologists call it active listening, reflective listening. Um, we would call that love, finally loving, beginning at least to love Sandy, because I'm, I'm internalizing and not just regurgitating, but communicating concretely in my own understanding what she has revealed about herself. And so, Doctrine is this with us and God. So, so God acted, acted, right? He saved Israel. He saved the king, the king, so many kings he saved from their awfulness. And then he comes through Jesus, and Jesus saves. And the church followed. About 100, 150 years after Jesus, the church, they're starting to wonder, what the heck just happened? Who was that Jesus guy? And, and that was tremendous what we just experienced 
Let's make sense of this. Let's clarify. And so God speaks through Jesus. Jesus is the word of God, actual the speaking of God in flesh. And so the church steps back and goes, okay, God has spoken. Now, now God's like, here, church, you take the talking stick now. And so we take the talking stick. God spoke, and then it's our turn in our own words. What just happened? What did he say? And then, and then, and then the church goes, I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and maker of earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried, resurrected. All of that, the church, communion of the saints, and finally he'll judge the living and the dead. This is who you say you are. And we respond. We, 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 and that's called doctrine. It's love. And, and the church needs therapy. <laughs> The church needs someone to give us a talking stick and, 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 to, and to say, what did God say? We always need to say, what did God say? And then in Nicaea, another, another therapy session, God, God continues, and they, they're like, what did God say? And they respond with the Nicene Creed, which is our, our faith, you guys. And then they clarified that around the nature of Jesus in Constantinople in 381 and then Chalcedon. And these councils where the whole church would come together and say, here's what you've said and done. As love, this is new song, you guys. This is new song. It's not to be something just just cooled off dead. The picture I have in my mind is just like when toast cools off and it's just on the counter and no one wants to eat it. That is not to be the temperature or texture of our worship. It's to be this living and active response to who God has said he is and who we've seen him be in our lives and in history, in history. And we stand on the shoulders of thousands and thousands of years of family who have been saying the same things over and over as love. And this is what the psalmist calls new song. And this is what we're going to do today and every week and every month. I'll be here in the year 2050, Park Hill, singing new song. And it's not going to, it's like the content, the core content is never going to change, even if it's unpopular in culture. Uh, because this is, it, comes from the culture of the, it comes from the king's own personality. So, uh, so we, now, let's stand together. We're going to sing as an embassy of heaven under the rule of our really good king who has acted to save, made himself known. We're going to sing. We're going to invite him. We're going to make room. We're actually, we're going to sing that song in a while, a uh, song Drew wrote, and it's called We Make Room. And uh, yeah, we just want to make room for him to continue acting, to continue moving in our lives, in our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Make us a worshiping church full of sound doctrine, full of love, full of willingness to respond to you as you are, as you are, Jesus. Come and have your way in your church. Let's take 30 seconds and just thank him for his presence.